Now, the subject of this song is uh, something all of you have seen one time or another. It's an old roadhouse. Uh, we're down in the south or in the Midwest or maybe on the way to Bakersfield. And we're driving in a 57 Chevy to an old roadhouse. Can you dig it? guys, I just want to hop in here at the beginning. This is not a full episode, even though it's full episode length. This is just a bonus episode where we, me and my buddy Travis, listen to the Doors Bakersfield release. We listen to the end. And, uh, and in this, I do have parts of the end still left in the podcast, but I did cut a lot. So if you can, go find the release. It was released for Record Store Days, uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. I know my local store sold out of all the vinyl and maybe had two CDs left. I bought a CD. And by the time I got there uh, in line, they'd already sold out of the vinyl. But luckily, the Doors had that up on their site on thedoors.com. They're now sold out. It was thirty four ninety nine. If you're going to look to buy, you're going to have to pay second secondary market prices off eBay or Amazon or Mercari somewhere else. So it is sold out. Maybe they'll put it on Spotify. I don't know if they ever put Paris Blues on. I don't, even, don't know if they ever put Paris Blues on Spotify. But a lot of times, these record store day releases, they don't do that. So... Uh, maybe there'll be a way for you to listen to it, and I don't want to say look for it on YouTube, but it could be up on YouTube if there's no other way to get it. I mean, this is a limited release. If you can't get your hands on it, you know, you really can't get your hands on it. So that being said, I did want to talk about a couple of things before that we talk about in the episode. So we do talk about the Doors AI app. I did look into that, and there's really not a lot there. Uh, it says, while on a four-day break during Jim Morrison's obscenity trial in Miami, the Doors play an extended set at the Bakersfield Civic Arena in Bakersfield, California. This is the show where Jim famously dedicates a song on the end to a newlywed couple in the audience. Opening for the doors is the band Genetic Drift. I think we mentioned all that. There's no set list or anything. There's a big debate closer to the end about whether Light My Fire was played or not. You can listen to that and you can be the judge for yourself. There are two cuts in the tape. We talk about those. One before Love Me Two Times and then Travis says there's one at the end and there could be. Um, I'm not 100% sure. But you can listen to that yourself and see what you think. We Two of the biggest resources we use are The Doors on the Road, Greg Shaw's book. We bring it up and talk about it. But the biggest source for modern information is definitely Mild Equator. Logan and Chris do an amazing job running that side. I'd 100% recommend going to Mild Equator for any Doors question you have. If you have a question, it's probably there. When, another thing I, I was not as familiar with, so Jim has a, a little part in the end we talk about. I guess Dave put it in his liner notes. Gulen Combi, which is an old old Norse for golden comb, and you'll it'll make more sense later on. But this comes via Wikipedia in Norse mythology. Gulen Combi is a rooster who lives in Valhalla. In the poetic Edda, Gulen Combi is one of the three roosters whose crowing is foretold to signify the beginning of the events of Ragnarok. But Jim does make a reference to the golden comb here, and Dave uses that in his liner notes. I do go over some liner notes. I'm not sure. I haven't got my vinyl copy yet. I did order it from thedoors.com. So I'm waiting on it to come in. I do have the CD and the liner notes are are, stu- are just spectacular. Dave did an amazing job. We do have some criticisms of the album, you know. Another thing I don't think I mentioned is I don't understand why some of the some of the tracks wind up why does Universal Mind 
wise Afro Blue called a medley in there, but then when you look at like and and giving credit in there, but then like let me two times you don't hear uh Baby Please Don't Go is not credited on it. Overall, amazing release and you'll hear our thoughts about it, hear us talk about it. And I just and again special thanks to Dave on the hard work on, on that. And the last thing I wanted to bring up and I'll I'll play a little bit here. I don't want to play the whole thing because he just does such good work, but we talk about some speed issues in the episode about this release and Avery over at other voices, his YouTube channel, go check it out. He does amazing work with cleaning up bootlegs, fixing releases, you know, doing all kinds of stuff with just doors, live shows and doors, you know, stuff in general. And he does such a phenomenal job. I know he has help with, uh, Greg, who helped out with the boot your butt release for the doors, who has been in the community for so, so, so long. So, um, both those guys are just awesome. Go check out Avery's channel again, other voices. Please go look at that on YouTube because it's so worth it. I'll give you some excerpts here. And I think that Avery, his his mixes may be, he does it by ear, and it's a little bit, and me and Travis talked about this off air, it's a little bit maybe overcorrected, but I think that sort of plays to its advantage. It gives it a little bit brighter sound. So uh, I, I really enjoy this. So anyway, I'm going to play a couple excerpts. So we'll start here with Love Me Two Times. And I'm going to play the CD source first, and then I will play the speed correction second. So, and you can also hear some fade-ins and dropouts, and I think a lot of that's the source material. Um, but that's the original release. You see it's sort of dragging a little bit. Um, that was the first thing I think me and Travis noticed when we played it. This is Avery's corrected version. See, I mean, that just sounds so much better, doesn't it? At least to me, it does. We'll, we'll take a just, um, you know, we'll take a look at maybe two more here. Uh, Ship of Fools in the end to see what you guys think. So, Ship of Fools, this is a CD. Okay, now we're going to swap to the speed grader. Again, other voices you can go to PayPal talk me slash Jay Harlow and you can contribute directly to him if you want to help out. I know there's a lot of change in technologies, improvements on audio and video. I think Jay is actually his brother that he uses his account. You can do that or you can contact him at jayhc4 at gmail.com if you're interested in tapes or video to be converted or mastered and just subscribe to his channel. He's really great. So 
I've taken a lot of time for a bonus episode here at the beginning. So we will go ahead and I will roll to the, I'll go ahead and pitch to the discussion. Let me see if I've, I've got, so, and this will be a good test of my audio. That sounds good. Okay, so that's that's our Do issue. Do you think the tape is running slow? You know, I, I I would agree with you because I listened to it and you the if I was listening to it on my on my just in my car, man, and you could really tell when it dropped out and came back in, and when it switched to stereo, because it would just yeah. it would be going in mono and it just and that's not even headphones on, man. It would just you know swap real quick to and I was like, man, you can so tell. I mean, it, he must have had a bad cable or something, a bad microphone cable. Could you notice that that it dropped in and out from mono and, and to to stereo? Like it was real weird. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I listened to the little snippets of crowd noise, but I mean, obviously, I've heard the show for years, and there are yeah. patches where it drops in and out. And love me two times, they repaired that for the sampler release in like 1999. Yeah, and you can tell on that as well that it goes from mono to singer back to stereo and. So I guess this one will be the same. Yeah. But uh, so another thing. So here's something else. I don't know. So this is a CD release is is two CDs, two discs. It's like, I think it's over 90. It's a little, a little over 90 minutes. Like, what is the deal with putting, putting, uh, do you think that there was enough audio to use two CDs here? Like. Maybe um, Pittsburgh was one disc. No, one of them. I think you're right that one of them was one disc. I was just trying to But you know what today I was thinking about this, you know, just earlier on and what we're about to do, like hearing a new song for the first time. This is what life is all about for me, I think. I was at work yesterday at like eight or nine o'clock at night, and I got a message from a friend in France and he said, Oh, the Bakersfield version of the end is really interesting. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you'll find out. And I'm there thinking, Farah, I can't listen to it right now because I'm, A, at work, and, B, when I got in the car at, like, 10 p.m. to drive home, I looked it up on YouTube straight away to see if it was on there. And it wasn't on YouTube yet, and it hadn't been put on Spotify yet. And at that moment, I thought, this is what life is all about. There's nothing else I would do. Than, than listen to this the one new door song. Sometimes you get an opportunity to hear something for the first time and you can never do that again, you know? Yeah. You can only do it once. And it doesn't happen often, especially with a song like The End where it could be anything. It could be a train wreck and it could be brilliant and there could be something new and all three of those things could happen in the same version of the song. It could be a train wreck and it could be great. Yeah, I hope I didn't spoil you spoil you too much by showing you the liner notes. I don't know if that. No, that's all right. Okay. I I I barely read. I looked at them. You know, it's you can never you never you can't spoil the song by reading the notes. Yeah. I think. What are you drinking, by the way? I I, I have a uh, it's a Jack and Coke, but I used vanilla, a Jack Daniel, so it sort of tastes like a Coke float. It's really good. Vanilla Jack Daniels. We used to drink. We used to drink. Like any cheap bourbon with 
vanilla Coke when we were kids. Yeah, yeah. But today I'm drinking a Peroni. Oh, okay. I don't know if I've ever had a Peroni or even heard of Peroni. It's an Italian beer, but it's it's not the imported one. They make it in Australia. But it's an Italian mm. beer. You can Interesting. You can get the imported Peronis. I actually like the Australian made ones better, to be honest. But I wouldn't tell people that because it's not as cultured. But I like the Australian <laughs> one better than the imported one. And then I had yeah. some, uh, me and my mom went out Black Friday shopping. I'm sure that's not a thing there either. We got some toasted coconut clusters and they and with covered in dark chocolate and they're really good. I love coconut. That sounds tasty. I love dark chocolate and Black Friday is a thing here. Really? Uh, yeah. There's Black Friday sales. I well, guess I it's guess, probably I guess a it thing would be. Would have they want people to buy it, don't they? Yeah, Thanksgiving's not a thing, but, but uh, Black Friday's thing. Makes sense. Now, before we get into this, I'm going to grab a fresh beer. Grab your fresh beer. Yeah, I'll. I'll uh, so I want to have a fresh beer for this. This is Brad. We we can only do this once. Yeah. We can only listen to a new version of the end once for the first time. I mean, yeah. once you've heard it once. I mean, do you remember the first time you heard Paris Blues? Do you do. remember when yeah. Backdoor Man from Columbus in like November 68 was posted on Chris's YouTube channel. I do. I remember where I was and I remember listening to it for the first time. And it was like, it blew my mind. It's not often you get to hear something new for the first time. This is a special day. It is. Like this is what life is all about for me. I mean, maybe not life is all about, but it's one of the it's one of the delicacies Delicacies of life. life. My friend in France, he said to me, he said, but Trev, what about sex? And I said, I've had sex plenty of times, but I'll never get to listen to this for the first time again. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean, man. <sighs> okay. All right. <sighs> Hold on. Let me pour a little bit more Coke in here. Sorry, I should have done this where you're going, but I was. I don't really no, that's all right. Okay. <sighs> I'm just going to mute my microphone. I'm not going to say anything. So Okay. I'll, ne- I'll mute mine too, because then the sound will be clearer. And for the next... Uh, See how much sixteen minutes and fifty seven seconds. I'm just gonna let this roll. Well, here, let me let me get our let me. I'm gonna mute it and then I'm gonna play Ship of Fools first. Get the audio level right because I want it to be loud enough for you to hear. Yeah, that's a good idea. Might need to get down a little bit. It's good, but it's playing slow. It you is. Notice how slow it is. Are you sure that's not just a drunk Jim? It sort of sounds like the ball, like a Boston sort of. He, he drug out some of those words now. I, but you're the audio expert. I will not. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm not an expert. I don't know a thing. You're right. He's dragging him out. He's drunk for sure. But I, it just sounds lot slow. I think it's like a, it almost sounds like it's an eighth. It's an eighth of a note. I don't know how that quantifies. Yeah, not a lot. Just a tickle. Just, just yeah. a little bit. Why didn't you think? I messaged someone else about this. Let me see. Okay, well, let's look at the credits real quick. Recorded live at the Bakersfield Civic Auditorium by Vince Trainer, Jeff Tampool, Project Supervisor, <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Mag- Milligan, Mastering, Bruce Botnick and Bernie Grundman at Bernie Grundman Mastering, Hollywood, California. Mm. Huh. Okay. So... So Bernie Grundman helped on it, so we we can blame him. I ain't gonna bring blame Bruce for this one. Maybe, maybe we could just check the pitch sometime, or check the you know, 
put it in a workstation and just bring a keyboard sound and just check the pitch. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's wrong. It just sounds slow. Well, it did take them 39 years to fix uh, their debut album. So you really can't trust them on much, can you? Can't trust them on anything. Remember <laughs> the promotion of this release? That's true. Yeah. They, they find the show in Bakersfield on June 5, 1970. It's like, mm, hang on a second. That's Seattle. Yeah. Dude, I will tell you, though, before we get into this, and we could probably actually talk about this later, and maybe mm. we will. I love the artwork. I think that the cover and the slipcase and everything, uh, you don't see many CDs have like a peachy sort of brighter tones. I sort of dig that. I mean, I don't know why they did all that stuff to the picture as much, but I mean, from an artistic standpoint, I think it looks pretty cool. And it looks pretty cool when it's playing on my phone. I don't know. So... The artwork is definitely better than the Matrix artwork, which I thought was terrible. The newer Matrix artwork? Yeah. Well, both of them were bad, but the newer oh, yeah. one definitely yeah. terrible. You know, and maybe, did I share this with you, that that was originally for the 2009, that was going to be the artwork for that Matrix release, but they repurposed it. And I've got screenshots. Where did I find it? Did I find it on Steve Hoffman form? I think it was on that. Really? Yeah. It was like, hey... This could have been the the Matrix artwork, and it was it wasn't exactly the same. It had the same font and everything though. It was really close, and the coloring wow. was the same. So they've sort of been sitting on Didn't that. Even really bothered to do much redesigning. Oh my god! Yeah, but it was it was like in the running for. I I, I freaking love the the ad look of the Matrix, like the the record store day one. I loved it, but that's neither here nor there. I'm gonna mute my mic. You ready? Yo! All right, muting. One and a two and a...
So this song goes out in their honor. This is dedicated to Bob and Brendy.
rainbows in his eyes. He'll set you free.
How long was that version? 16 minutes, 57 seconds. And it was every bit of it, man. Like that was, it, it, it took it. Mm. So at least 1640, I'd say. It's bizarre because like, there wasn't a lot of singing in it, but it didn't feel that drawn out. The liner notes made it sound as though they were struggling to get him to sing, but I don't think they were. He was just off somewhere else. Wow. Did you, did I hear, I thought I heard at the end somebody like Ray or somebody say light my fire. Like, like I'll be like, maybe that was the next song. Um, I'll have to listen to it again because. Let me, hold on. Let me. Uh, okay. Come on. Come on. Come on. Light my fire. Did you hear it right there? No, but but it's not as clear as it will sound when I listen to it. You know, it's it's still a bit muddy through here. Yeah. Like I didn't hear any of the bottom end really, but I'll definitely listen for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you could have listened to it on your own side. I, mean, I didn't want to. I hope I didn't taint your experience. It's fine. That it doesn't matter to me. It's all good. Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. It's fine by me. What do you think? So, what are your thoughts listening to it now? That was the most chaotic version of that song I've ever heard. Like Isle of Wight's pretty chaotic. Yeah, and Detroit is pretty chaotic. Yeah, and I think the theme here is that Morrison doesn't want to sing this song anymore. Either that, or he can't remember. So I'm really curious to know what that version is like in New Orleans, but I guess, I guess from what Dukowski wrote, they don't even get into it. It finishes before it starts. But, but the band was not in sync with Morrison here. Usually, the band is in sync with him. You know, you listen to the version in Vancouver, and Morrison gives it a moment before coming in with the line. But Ray anticipates the chords. You know? Yeah. And Morrison's giving it space, but Ray jumps in thinking he's going to sing here, but he doesn't. And the same thing happens here. Ray jumps in where where the song should be going, 
but you can tell immediately, even beforehand, that Morrison's not going to sing it, I think. But maybe I'm saying that just because I've heard it happen on the recording a hundred times. What? And, you know, and back in August 70, they're not thinking that. But then they fall out of sync completely. Morrison's thinking they're going to give me space to sing. And then Ray comes in with the changes again and the lyric comes over the chord change. It shouldn't be there, but they make it work so it doesn't sound out of tune, but it's still bizarre. And then Morrison tries to do the first verse again and then they wait a couple of bars and instead of waiting longer for the can you picture what will be, Densmore kicks up the drum roll and they go into the meat of the song. Yeah, chaos. It was so bad. Like, it was really interesting to hear, but it was bad. Like, they weren't, you know how the doors are usually together? Even when things are going off script, they're usually, like, in the same mind. That wasn't the doors in the same mind. That was the doors not understanding what each other was doing. Well, I think it all all sort of started at the beginning. Jim really threw out that first line and didn't even finish it in, like, the first... Uh, first bar you know he tried to i don't know i don't i don't really know like he was he was singing like the the middle part of the of the first line when they finished the bar for that first line you know it was bizarre it was what what did you think about the middle section the 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 ad-libbed have you has has he ever done that before have you ever heard that before i'm not familiar with any of those lyrics and i think we need to ask someone who is really familiar with Morrison's poetry to know if it's from somewhere. Yeah. But my first thought was when he says someone's following me, I thought to me it almost sounds like an early concept for Hyacinth House. Oh, yeah, yeah. Huh. That was my first thought. Wow, Hyacinth House, where's this going? But he didn't really go into anything anything else that resembled Hyacinth House. But that's how I thought straight away. Ah, Hyacinth House. Let me just Google these right offhand. Maybe nothing will come up, but I just want to just want to cross that off. I doubt it will, but yeah, I'm not seeing, really seeing anything. We, we'd have to look more into that. So in the, in the lyrics, someone is following me. He'll set you free. He's got a gold comb. He's got diamonds in his hair. He's got rainbows in his eyes. He's going to look at you. He's going to smile. You know what it reminds me of? What's that? It reminds me of nothing specific, but it makes me it makes me think about the YouTube videos I watched about the Nordic, the alleged Nordic aliens who lived in the hollow earth from like 2010. It reminded me of those YouTube conspiracy theory videos about Nordic yeah. aliens. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. It almost, but it's also it's like the lords, right? Like the like the lords and the new creatures. New creatures. It could be like that. What did you think about the, Ray? Also, did a different. Did you hear the the change in the organ? The uh, well, there was a lot of tremolo on it. The vibrato setting, I think. He uses that setting all the time, but usually he turns it off and on throughout the show. There's another time when he uses it when he really shouldn't be, and that's in Hawaii. He uses oh, yeah. it in wake. And it's during wake up and then they go into light my fire and usually he switches it off and goes into light my fire. But in that show, he didn't switch it off and the tremolo is on and it sounds really bizarre. But it's similar to there. I think he used it in the end, but it doesn't normally have a 
on so much. I noticed it as well. Yeah, that this it was a little out of place. What? No, not even. I wouldn't even say out of place. Let, right, let me rephrase that. It sounded different than what I'm used to. How about how about we go with that? Yeah, um, different. Because I don't want to make it sound like. So. I mean, nothing with the doors can possibly be out of place because sometimes everything with the doors is different. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, definitely. There it is. Yeah, that's the tremor. Maybe it's he's playing low with it. Mm-hmm. Man, just, just, uh, it's probably, oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to probably put it on, listen to it a lot more. And maybe that's because, and just because it's new too. But I love listening for the intricacies and, it's cool being able to like listen to different versions of songs and like, ah, you know, like I could, I could pick out a, I'm sort of bad with the felt forum shows telling you which is from which show, but for, well, you know, from some of them, but some of them you can like listen you're like, okay, this is from the third night or whatever. But like it, you can tell the intricacies from each, like I could tell you, I could pick out a Pittsburgh. I know you could too. Anybody who's trained on this can pick out a Pittsburgh show, like even from like, you know, two seconds or something, you know, a Pittsburgh show from say Boston arena or anything like that. But, well, those felt forum shows as well, they all sound so similar. I, you know, I had, I'd be hard pressed to pick the five to one versions. And of course, they're all chopped up as well, and there's pieces missing. So it can be hard to tell for sure with those shows. Yeah. But I agree with you. I would definitely be listening to this again and again, and I'll listen to it multiple times. I think there is a train wreck element to this version for sure. It's totally fun. You can picture the band on stage thinking, oh, my God, what's happening? In the first verse where everything goes to shit and you can imagine look up at each other and, oh, no. And Morrison would just be there, not the, the, the three of them looking at each other and Morrison just up the front ignoring them. That's what it would be. You can see it now. I mean, the video footage from, from Bakersfield, you know, it's it's pretty good. You can see that. The ray is pretty close to the drums, and Morrison's kind of out front. It d- doesn't look like he moved around much. They included footage of when the music's over. I wonder, thinking about that footage again, you know, you can see the songs unfolding in chronological order, but then they put music's over in with a bit of audio at the end of the newsreel. I wonder if there's more footage from Bakersfield. They say not. I'd like to go back and watch it now with the end in mind, you know, just thinking about this recording. Yeah. So Bakersfield, what would have been the closest concert to Bakersfield? It would have been San Diego. San Diego. Uh, so let's look at San Diego's set list. Of course, the doors notoriously uh, no rhyme or reason to their shows. San Diego was a crazy set. We've only got 30 minutes of it on tape, but it's totally bizarre as well. Yeah. It's totally bizarre. So you got Roadhouse Blues, Backdoor Man. About this packaging. I love the packaging. I love everything about the release. I like, or not everything about the release, but I love the gatefold. You know, that's cool. Could they have fit this on one disc? Probably. I'm not real sure. But I do like the, and we, we can get in the notes a little bit too, I don't know how much time you have, but I was just looking at this though. 
And the one thing I hate about this, man, for whatever reason, Roadhouse Blues is track one. Track two is the whole medley. Alabama song, Backdoor Man, five to one. That's bizarre, yeah. I hate that, man. You can't split the tracks. like you. For a vinyl, I understand, but for a CD, it's very strange. And then the then the train medley the on the on disc two mystery train away in India crossroads is all smashed together on one track. That is yeah. so annoying to me. Like you've been doing this for thirty years, going on thirty <laughs> years. You've split all these tracks up, probably less than that, but you get my point. For twenty five years or whatever, you've split all the tracks up. They've been on their own little track list, and then all of a sudden, you know, you think after twenty four, twenty five years, hey, we're gonna mix this shit up and just throw these medleys together and you're already putting them. You've got two discs, man. I know that love me two times, you know, the three songs ship of fools in the end. I know there's room on there to split these tracks, man. That just sort of, I love backdoor man. And oftentimes, and, and maybe this is sacrilege. I will skip Alabama song. I'll go straight to backdoor man. Cause backdoor man's like my top four <laughs> door songs, top five door songs. And I'm not, I, yeah. I've probably listened to, and, and don't get me wrong. Live every live version of Backdoor Backdoor Man. If I've heard it five million times, I've maybe heard Alabama song maybe four and a half million times. So I mean, most of the time I listen to it all the way through. But sometimes you just want to hear Backdoor Man. You know, you don't want to. We'll skip Alabama song for now, and we'll come. We'll we'll catch it on the next listen. I hate this. I just absolutely hate that they did this. I was looking through track lists. Did the Doors ever perform Light My Fire after the end? I tend to think not. I tend to think not, but there is an occurrence. There is some time. And the Hollywood Bowl track listing was um, a bit weird on um, on the most recent release, I think. Unknown Soldier they placed after the end. Did that happen? No, it ended with the end, supposedly. this. I think, yeah, it ends on the end. So hmm. I don't know why I thought they brought in the Unknown Soldier afterwards. Well, I think that when the so unknown soldiers after light my fire, but it's before the end. I think the deep, I think the VHS release, because they didn't have yeah, they, I don't I, the VHS release was very sort of all over the place because they didn't have you know they didn't have some of the I mean you already know all this but due to the yeah. circumstance with the Jim's mic and stuff I think they only released maybe forty minutes of it if I, if I, and it ended with unknown soldier maybe. Maybe they reversed the order of Light My Fire and The Unknown Soldier. Maybe so. There's something different about that show on the new release versus the old one. I mean, obviously there's a bunch of different stuff, but there's something that stood out to me as being particularly unusual. Hmm. <clears throat> I'm just going through their 70s shows, and I was already pretty familiar. I lo- you know, I love when they end a concert with Soul Kitchen because I think that's a, good, a great closer. I love the end, but if I go to see a door show, I'd love them to end it with Soul Kitchen. Just my opinion. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Live was a great ending with Soul Kitchen. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I, I, you know, I have not heard Absolutely Live as much as I probably should, just because I don't know. I don't like the mixing on it. Really? I, well, after I've heard the real, because I'm a younger Doors fan, so when I heard the real shows and I go back and try to listen to it, it's just sort of a nuisance. Absolutely Live. Did they mix in, or was that in concert? I'm thinking the Doors in concert, where they mix in like. It's just got a layer of crowd noise underneath it. That's just, or is that alive? She cried. Maybe that's so- yeah. No, that's that's in concert. But to, to tell you the absolute truth, I never listened to Absolutely Live either. I listened to In Concert, 
And I've always just assumed that the mix for in concert was exactly the same as absolutely live. But the reality is that they removed close to you for in concert and they stuck it on disc two. Really? Yeah. Huh. So they I'm looking at So the Chicago late show, I was also looking for instances where they don't play at the end is incomplete, of course, but it doesn't have a lot my fire on here is, but I'm, they had to have played it, you would think, or do you think that was another show where they didn't play it? Which, where are you finding this information? Uh, the, our good friends over at the mild equator. I mean, it's possible that those guys, you know, Logan's pretty detailed. He might just, he wouldn't, he might not want to put something in that wasn't verified, you know? Yeah. Cause the Chicago, Chicago auditorium, I'm sure you've heard the bootleg. Um, that's not to say that all of their, uh, oh no, they played light my fire at Chicago in 19 February 70, but in the early set, definitely. But, but in the late, late, sh- late show is not showing it. So. Oh, okay. Well, the late show, there is a tape from that show that I don't know if those guys have heard it, but as far as I know, Dukowski is the only one who's heard it. If he says that's the set list then that's the set list. If who can, yeah, it's a backdoor man into five to one. Break on through when the music's over. Gloria, which it says Gloria has Mystery Train Crossroads, Coda Queen. Uh, Who do you love? Tell all the people. Love me two times at the end. Which is a bizarre set list, but there has to be more to that, right? Bizarre. It could be that there's something missing between Love Me Two Times and the end. That would be my instinct. But until Dudkowski says there's a cut in the tape or anything, then fuck knows. Well, I'm not seeing any. Usually, like if... I don't see any tape cuts. Let's go to the taper notes here. Not that this, I don't know. And now I'm just going down a rabbit hole of stuff because I just find it hard to, to believe that they just didn't you know, play like my fire. I don't know. I'm getting hung, hung up on that, man. It just says most likely recorded with one microphone on a stereo deck incomplete. I don't, I don't yep. have I ever heard the light. The, I don't know if I've ever heard the Chicago late show. I've heard the early show. I mean, if you've heard it, man, I'd, I'd love I'd, my mind to be blown because I don't know anyone that's heard it except uh, Dukowski. So, okay. So it is, so it's not in circulation, is what you're saying, basically. No, it's oh, a tape yeah. that was given to Ray by a fan. And then it ended up in Ray's archive and Dukowski must have found it or something. How recent was that? Oh, uh, not recently. It's been known about food. Uh, I don't know. I guess at least a decade. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Time is relative to me now. I don't know, but but it's been a long time. Yeah, ages. I, I'm fi- I'm just really finding it. So there's a cut before "Love Me Two Times." Like, what is the likelihood the Doors would have played "Light My Fire" before "Love Me Two Times"? And it's I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Not at all. Because they did they often. I mean, uh, I was just looking through. They did that many a time. Played "Light My Fire" like in the middle of the set list for whatever reason. Especially shows where they had the end. It's almost like Light My Fire was like a, I guess a primer or whatever, like almost like an intermission, not, not an intermission, of course, but like a, if you would have had an intermission in the middle of the show, they'd almost close the first half of the show with Light My Fire, come back and do more. Yeah. But, but Light My, but Love Me Two Times, and I'm just, just for my sanity, it, it really, let me, let me, I want to hear it one more time. So, this is. That's a clear cut, isn't it? Or, Big time cut. Huh. So so did they just add the add crowd noise in the beginning just to make it more seamless? 
No, well, it was, you know, after. It's after when the music's over, right? Oh, uh, right. Music's over. Yeah, but still. So, well, well, okay. So here's what I did. I'm going to f- go to when the music's over. You'll hear the fade out. And we'll fade back in the crowd noise. What's the end of disc one? When the music's over. Yeah, that's fine. We'll never know. We'll never know. We'll never hear that transition because they've sliced it for the disc one, disc two. But, but why fade it out? Well, they have to fade it for the release, so you can't just have a good cut. I'm pretty sure didn't the boss well bo, bo, well what was the second? Not at the end of the disc. It has to fade. Are you sure? Yeah. I don't because you hear a click if you don't. But it definitely hard cuts in. Listen, I would imagine. I would imagine that it's very likely that the bit of noise you're hearing at the start of "Love Me Two Times." You could connect to the end of when the music's over. It probably just fades. The crowd probably dies down and it just fades into that. And then it cuts and the cut is what you hear, you know? But but there is, but so I'm not crazy that there is a cut. Oh, definitely. There's no, you're not crazy. There's a cut. But it goes, sure. so it goes crowd. So you think the crowd noise is from the end of when the music's over. We have a hard cut into Love Me Two Times. So there could be something in between. Because in the notes, again, it, it it says that this is an almost two hour show. I don't know how. And and da, another thing I would point out is Dave does an amazing job on these liner notes. I I really love the notes on here. And just some of the stuff I'd have loved more information. I'm not not saying he gives us plenty of information. Do not get me wrong. But like he says, the tape runs out after about ninety minutes on the, of this incredible two hour plus show. How so? Yeah. What is what does that mean? Where's the other? I mean, I know the other 30 minutes is not captured, but how do we know? Is that from Vince that that comes, or is that from the band? You know, maybe John remembers? You can't rely on Vince's memory of this show to be accurate. Like, you just can't. I've asked Vince a lot of questions. I've talked to him a lot, and there's just no, you know, you can't ask him what he missed or what he didn't get. Like, he didn't even remember recording Seattle, to be honest. Like, you know, you can't ask him. That doesn't mean that his memory just means about this. He doesn't remember, you know? Yeah. And that's another, but here's one thing I've always talked about with a, I mean, ordinary folks. If you were to tell me, like, if I, if I were to ask you, Hey, three years ago and two days ago, you're working on so-and-so project. What were you doing at this time on this said project? And maybe you have a log of something you're doing, but for the most part, you're probably like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I was doing, you know, and we're, yeah, I don't know. We're expected Vince. This was his his day job. You know, he's getting paid to do this for for a rock band, and, and it is the Doors. You know, mind you, but I doubt he ever thought. You know, I'm gonna have to keep you know copious notes on this because decades from now, this is gonna be like there's gonna be a huge group of not a huge group. There's gonna be a select group of people who are huge Doors fans who want to know what happened on this night in Seattle and what I was recording with, what equipment I used, why there's a cut right here. You know, and yeah, and why did the tape cut? Maybe he was trying to save tape. Yeah, maybe he. We have a lot of versions of "Light My Fire." Hey, we'll cut "Light My Fire." It's a long one. I mean, you notice at the start of Roadhouse Blues, there's a bit of music that fades in first. He's obviously taped over something. Do you want to listen to it? What is the, What do you think he taped? You over? That? There's no. I did notice that. I did. Hmm. I was. I actually forgot to ask you about it. What is? What do you? Th- It'd be impossible to tell what it is.
Is that a, is, it? Almost it almost like, sounds like it almost sounds like something from the eighties. Oh, I thought it was like LA Woman, like some weird version of LA Woman. Oh, wrong way. Do it again. Why would they put that? No, no. Wouldn't it be funny if it was taped over something that was recorded in the eighties, and it turns out that this is not the master tape? Dude, Wouldn't I want. Be... Surely, there's a way to figure out what this is. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. At least, probably something from the seventies. There's no way. There's no way. They didn't. Rem- they didn't use the cassette for this, did they? He said. Cause Read those liner notes. You sent them to me, and I, I wasn't sure why he even put that in there. Yeah. Why was that in there? Bakersfield was recorded by the Doors road manager, you know, on Vince Trainer, on a two-track reel-to-reel recorder at three and three-fourths IPS with a microphone inconspicuously placed on the stage by Vince and his band boys, as he referred to them. Regrettably, the recording missed the first few bars of Roadhouse Blues, and the tape runs out after about 90 minutes of this incredible two-hour-plus show. The recording was in Vince's possession for decades, along with tapes from Vancouver and Seattle. The Doors purchased them from Vince in the 1990s, after which they were vanquished to the Doors' vaults. Vanquished, probably not the right word there, but I digress. Um, I think it works in the context. Uh one of the first things the Doors then manager Danny Sugarman did after purchasing the tapes was have them transferred onto cassette so he could listen to them. The, the cassettes were placed in a box on an inconspicuous, use that word twice here, shelf at the Doors office in the in the 9000 building on Sunset Boulevard. Soon after, the rumors circulated within the Doors inner circle that the cassette copy of the Bakersfield recording had been stolen out of the offices and then mysteriously returned at a later date. Huh. So, so that's our... <laughs> Uh, so within the Doors Inner Circle, how how big is the Doors Inner Circle? Is that just the four band members and, and a few people in the staff? Like, I don't know. That's that's a weird phrasing there. And why? Mm. And how how would you know? Like, how would somebody like? There's a rumor. Okay, let's see. Okay, there were rumors circulating within the Doors Inner Circle that the cassette copy of the Bakersfield recording had been stolen out of those offices and then mysteriously returned to a later date. How would you know? If nobody knows about these, like, you would have, un- unless it came, the boot, like, it's not a rumor. Sugarman, Sugarman told people all kinds of shit, and Sugarman, you know, had relationships with collectors. Yeah. But who, so I would imagine, not anybody can just go in the door's offices and get these tapes, correct? You'd think. You would have to be invited, surely. Huh. And how would you get sneak back in to put it back? And then how would you notice that it? You, I don't know. Something down add, add up there. And read, read, read the rest of it. It says something about the end being on the second tape. Okay, and this is Dave uh, speculating. I always wondered if that rumor was true. I had and still have no way of knowing. The interesting, the interesting part of that is that the stolen in quotation marks cassette was missing one song from the concert. The end. Interestingly enough, all the bootleg recordings circulating from then until now are missing that song. Hmm. With an exclamation point. An H with four M's and an exclamation point. Hmm. Does that sound, does that sound good? Hmm. Sounds good. Hmm. Oh, I think yours is a little bit better. I like that. The, <laughs> the, doors re, the Doors related intrigue of the early 2000s was such a trip to be a part of. I think Danny loved being a part of it as well. 
and probably initiated a lot of it on purpose. I miss that guy. Also, in that same time frame, Danny shared the complete recording with a trusted collector, yours truly, to use for trade if we could find any truly rare Doors recordings circulating in the underground. Sadly, we never found anything good enough to trade. Okay, uh, well, I'll go ahead and finish, mm. and then we'll speculate. A few songs from Bakerfield, Bakersfield appeared in the Bright Midnight Sampler, a teaser CD released when Bright Midnight Records was first created in the early 2000s. But for decades that followed, Bakersfield lived a life of solitude in the Doors' climate-controlled vaults. I'm so happy to finally get this recording into the hands of Doors fans. David Dutkowski, is that how you say his name? Dutkowski? Is the T silent? Dutkowski? Dutkowski? That's how I would say it. Dukowski, Dukowski. I mean, Dukowski. He can brush over the T, but it's still there. The Doors archivist, and he wrote this June 15th, 2023. Huh. Anyway. No, I mean, it depends who you ask. I will go and I will follow up on this with someone, but I have been told that the very first, and from a long time ago, the first version of Bakersfield that did circulate was an MP3. And so. It could have come from him, but the I, end never did get out. Is this something you don't want me to put on the podcast, or is that something that you that last statement? Or, I mean, it's just a rumor. It's just a rumor that's been around for a long time. I I don't know if it's true or not. You okay. can put it on there if you like, but but make sure to include the bit where I say I don't know if it's true. Okay. Because well, I don't know. because because you can't trust anybody. That's true. That is true. The future is yeah. uncertain. The end is always near. Um. So yeah. Another thing, I, so we, we he he put it up for trade bait. I just find it weird. It says it says sadly we never found anything good enough to trade with the Bakersfield tape for in the bootleg underground. So surely there's so so like for decades he tried to or you know a decade or so he tried to trade this tape and he never they never found anything. They thought oh this would be even like almost anything would be worth it, would it not? You'd think. Yeah, from whose point of, point of view? I mean, I wouldn't trade for a tape that was 90% circulated and um, owned by the doors that they could possibly release. I'm not going to trade anything for that. What this is, seems like it's coming from the doors perspective that we don't feel like that they didn't feel like it was. Uh, well, yeah, it is from their perspective, but that doesn't mean that that's the reality. That's true, but like I'm, I'm thinking like I mean, I, this is this is liner notes included in a CD. It's effectively marketing. I mean, what do you expect them to say? They have to be the heroes in their own story. Well, that is true. That is true. I mean, I, I would pay very little attention to those. I wouldn't take them too seriously. I do find the bit interesting. Is I find it a bit interesting, you know, about how. Uh, the cassette was allegedly stolen or whatever. I don't know if how that true that is, but but again, like I say, I've heard other stories about other things that are totally conflicting from two or two or three different people and over the years. And I would say that it's impossible to know what to believe about anything half the time. And there's always someone lying. Yeah, it's true. I, you know, I will say uh, I've read through the, all these liner notes and I really think that, uh, for what we have here, they're, they're, he did a really good job, especially walking through. There's a lot about Bakersfield here. He talks about the uh, the the interview, which we did, there's more to that interview that I don't think we know about, right? Or did they ever? Is there more that's not in circulation that we knows out there? But not. I don't know. I mean, I think it was edited, and I you know what appeared on the 
broadcast was very brief, but whether there's more that exists, I don't know. Yeah. For an audience member watching this concert unfold, it probably seemed like the Doors had rehearsed everything, but many of the night's lyrical and musical twists and turns had never been discussed by the band, let alone rehearsed. Odds are the band didn't even have a set list. Well, that's probably true. Um, oh, yeah, they never had a set list. No, they didn't. I, I love how bands nowadays, like they'll, like, they'll have like copies of the set list. Like, hey, we'll hand these out after the show, and the Doors doesn't, you never knew. Like, you're talking about San Diego, Louie Louie, and all that. I will read. Oh. I will read the inliner notes. I don't know if I have much more, um, unless you have. But I just wanted to read these and get these on records. Cause I felt like I, I don't think the vinyl comes with liner notes. If you bought the vinyl, you missed out on some of these liner notes. Um, let's see. So the Doors then perform their theatrical epic, epic "The End," which Jim j- jokingly dedicates to a newlywed couple in the audience. Jim's vocals have a sad, melancholy, melancholy quality to them, as if resigned to the reality of the words he's about to sing. This comes across poignantly during the Cross the Sea improvisational passage where Jim stops singing completely, resulting in what seems like an eternity of silence, which I I I didn't really get that, um, and I don't think you did either. Okay. Ray, Robbie, and John try to coax him back with various musical improvisations, doing their best to lure Dionysius out of hiding. After numerous musical pokes and prods the muse reluctantly reappears resulting in this golden combi inspired verse oh it's in rainbow colors that's cool i'm just i'm just can't see in my weird lighting someone is following me he'll set you free he's got a gold comb he's got diamonds in his hair he's got rainbows in his eyes he's got he's gonna look at you he's gonna smile after jim finishes his nostradamus like prognostication the band seemingly pauses for a moment of reflection contemplating the weight of the words just thrust upon them. Jim then breaks the spell and continues into the final section of the song where they ride the serpentine path through the double time section with an intensely, with an intensity rarely seen even at a Doors concert, climaxing with a flurry of guitar feedback and primal screams. The Doors keyboardist Ray Manzarek then spoke of, of Doors concerts that successfully achieved a vibrational, spiritual, harmonious mass communication between the audience and the people on stage. A feeling of communal oneness. I'm convinced this was achieved in Bakersfield. How many of us will feel that way after listening to this recording? You can count me in. That's from David. <laughs> so great notes, I think. Um, yeah, they're good notes. Good, good notes. Um, so, I, I mean, I think this release is pretty cool, though. Uh, this is better than their than their little record player, which I bought. I'm a shill. I will buy... Doors merchandise. I see uh, easy, easy thing. I see doors, mer- doors merchandise. I buy doors merchandise. You know, not not too difficult. Yeah. <laughs> hey, today, yeah. I don't know if y'all have any like discount stores. Like we have something called Ollie's, and they have a bunch of discount like just random stuff. I got these at Ollie's. These little things. They had them on sale. Hopefully, they don't die and they're not old. But I got them for like they're like regularly like four or four fifty or something. And I got it for like two bucks. But they just have a bunch of stuff. They had some artwork. They had a huge print. Like it's probably. I'll send you a picture later, but it's like probably four or five foot long. Like it's just huge. And it's of the waiting for the sun, but it's got the, it's sort of cut off and it has the doors in the background. I thought I'm going to use it as a background since I really don't have anything back here doors related. And I'll just take this stuff down and put it up when I do recordings, but it's huge, man. Yeah. And it was like 20 bucks or something. So I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll get that. That's pretty cool. Like a print. 
yeah, it's like a it's like a canvas print, you know. It's not anything like high quality, you know. It might it might sell for fifty or 40, fifty or forty bucks in a store or something, but it's like twenty, so I got it. It looked pretty cool. Yeah. But I'll get wrong for twenty bucks. But I'm a shell for the doors. I'll admit it. I don't always like what they do, and I'll call them out if I feel like there's something that uh, isn't right. But you know, I think Bakersfield's a cool release. Um, I'm glad we got to hear the end. Uh, I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen to the bootleg. If you want to go back and listen to my thoughts on the concert as a whole, me and Michael Papasino did a great conversation and he actually got this CD or I think he got a vinyl. He got a low print vinyl run too. Uh, they sold out of the vinyl before I got there, but I got the CD. Um, is there anything you got? What did, what did you think about this? what do you think about this version? The end, what do you think about this release? What are what is I, Travis I think, Williamson's? I thoughts? think the version of the end on this ties the whole thing together. I think the end ties it all together, and it puts it in a different context for me because I've heard this show since when I, I mean I got it back in two thousand and eight or two thousand and nine. I know that it circulated prior to that, and it first began entering into the community in like two thousand the early two thousands. Um, and I'm going to follow up on the origins of this tape to find out if there really was a Dudkowski leak back in 2002 or three. I'm going to look into that. But I think the release, I think the end sort of holds the release together in a way because, you know, there's a lot of generic doors in this show and there's a, it's not a very good performance from Morrison. It's pretty loose. Um, but there are moments of brilliance like Backdoor Man is great, Universal Mind is great, and The End is also great, I think. It's totally bizarre and you can hear the band losing touch with each other. They're not in sync like they normally are. Things go wrong, but then when things go wrong, things get loose and they go right out. It's almost like at some point when the verse fell apart, and they and they and they forgot about even doing the second part of the verse and just went straight into the improvised section, into the middle section of the song where you know that's the bardo where all the magic happens in the in between. Yeah, they um they forgot the rules and Morrison went, okay, I'm doing something different. And you can tell the band had never heard that stuff before because they were all just making it up. You know, there's Morrison improvisations that occur in When the Music's Over and in the end that are not always played, but they're sometimes played and they're always a bit different and the band sort of knows those pieces and they've done them before so they flow in and out of them. The end is always like that. Across the Sea comes up in quite a few versions, but not all of them. You know, earlier versions of the end, you hear bits and pieces of songs that became other songs eventually. So there were things that the band were familiar with they were playing with new ideas this to me sounds like the beginning of something new entirely like no one had heard it before yeah maybe Morrison was playing with these words I don't know but I, I would feel confident in saying the band had never heard it before and you can tell by how disconnected and discombobulated it is that none of them knew what the other was going to do in that middle section and I think that Densmore is trying to accelerate the song into its conclusion because he's uncomfortable with all of the uncertainty that's going on. You can hear the doors do that, and I think that's what he's doing. He's trying to say, let's bring this back, you know, let's bring this back together. 
And so he brings in the cue that he can, which is the big drum roll that takes the song into the little guitar solo section, which then resolves into a section which could be improvised or it could be on the studio album. You know, the section that comes after the guitar break is uh, Lost in a Roman Wilderness of Pain. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's true live as well, but in some cases it's across the sea. And in this one it was across the sea. And then he goes into this uh, golden comb business. I mean, <laughs> I think uh, I think they're all just figuring it out. And Densmore, because of what we know about him, is trying to bring a sense of coherence. I want to listen to it again to find out who instigates the musical climax. I think it's Morrison because he comes in with Take a Chance with Us completely writing off the Oedipal section, which they did in Detroit and which they do again in the Isle of Wight and in Dallas. They don't do the Oedipal part either. So I'll be shocked if we, yeah, we won't ever hear that in New Orleans. No way. You don't think so? No, no way. I wouldn't have thought so. But then, of course, Dukowski's notes from uh, the Doors AI tell us that the song came to an end during the first verse itself. So you never know. We might get part of the first verse like we do here in Bakersfield. Maybe it falls apart and then he pounds the stage in frustration. Maybe he doesn't sing a word. We, we won't know until we hear that tape. Well, speaking of that, Dave, if you're listening, man, open invite to come on opening the doors. I've sent you some emails. They might have got lost in your in your spam folder, I understand. I uh, haven't heard back from you in a year or so, so uh, or ever. But, hey, man, you know. If if you ever find those, you know, disregard anything Travis says. His opinions are his own. I don't, you know, I think you're a pretty upstanding guy. <laughs> Wait, I, I you, didn't say no, you did. That, I'm, I'm, I'm just. He provided the info. No, I, you did. I, I'm just wanted wanted to clarify. I don't believe you leaked those MP3s. If that is the rumor, I've ne- don't believe it at all. But no, I'm just. <laughs> I'm gonna double check. I'm, I'm gonna check in. <laughs> With the people I know. I know some old guys who have kept a lot of notes about what happened on the internet back in the day. Really? Dude, that, that, yeah. that'd be cool to just have those notebooks, too. To tell them to scan them, send them to opening the doors. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, like that would happen. But no. Yeah, we would always be lucky to see someone's notes because that's history recorded in real time, you know? It is, man. It really is. But uh, in all seriousness, if Dave does want to come on here, I, I mean, I'm sure we could I, could, I could get some questions together because there's a lot of information disinformation uh and the doors ai app is i haven't heard a lot from it recently i know it went free which is great for everybody um i haven't seen many updates recently maybe there has been i haven't noticed what what disinformation is in there oh no no i'm not saying i'm not saying that's a blanket statement like there's i'm just saying in general in doors uh in door circles there is information and disinformation in general, I'm not saying, hey, there's this is disinformation. You know, I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying as a blanket statement, not referring to anything in general, that uh, people have agendas and sometimes they might want to say something to peddle their own agenda, you know, whatever it is. This is true. For collectors. And you've experienced that probably more than anybody else. Well, just as much as anybody else in door circles, I would say. Oh, I'm sure there are others who have experienced it more than I'm me. Sure, yeah, man. <laughs> Well, Travis, man, thank you. Is there anything else we have left to say that we haven't said about uh, it, this is my fault for dragging this on? You know, we went two hours. That's crazy. Unbelievable. I would definitely encourage everyone to listen to this, skip straight to the end and listen to it twice. I'm going to listen to it again 
my first impression was it sounds amazing. You know what? Even just hearing the musical intro, the guitar, I thought, wow, it almost sounds like an early Doors concert. It sounded really good. Like, it sounded great. The voice sounded very shaky, almost broken, like he couldn't sing or something. It was almost on the edge of cracking. And then it, I want to listen to it again. It just gets weird. You know, they're not in sync. Morrison's off script. The band doesn't know where to go. And then it becomes no rules. I think it's worth another listen. But it felt good. It felt, I was anticipating greatness the whole time because you do not know where this is going. And as Vince Trainer said to me one time, even a Doors concert that was so bad it was good had something magic about it. That's what he said. Oh, yeah. And I think this is a good example of that because this concert on the whole is quite bad. Morrison's off key. The band is sloppy. That It's August 21, 1970. They haven't played live since June 6. Okay. Morrison's been in Paris for the whole of July, June and July preparing for the trial, right? And we're in August. It's almost three months. We've got June, July. It's almost three months. They haven't played. So they're rusty. And here they are playing a sloppy show. Morrison's off key. But in the sloppiness is a whole bunch of new stuff. Massive jazz jam in Universal Mind. Who knows what the doors were doing while Morrison was gone? Probably probably jamming. Yeah. And then you get to San Diego, and in San Diego, where they play Light My Fire, they modulate keys during the solo section, which they do in the same way in Universal Mind in Bakersfield. And the solo section in Bakersfield is the same two chords, A minor, B minor, as it is in Light My Fire during the solo section, A minor, B minor. And in Universal Mind, they modulate keys, and then they do the same thing again during Light My Fire in San Diego. So you can bet that those guys were jamming on some jazzy stuff while Morrison was gone, for sure. It's a weird time for The Doors. It is. It's a very strange time. And then, they, and then they play the Isle of Wight. So for me, this tour, Bakersfield, San Diego, was always, I always considered it a warm-up tour for the Isle of Wight. And Isle of Wight was booked months in advance because there's an article from June or July saying that the doors were booked for it. But I think, yeah, I think this tour was a practice run for the Isle of Wight. And you have to wonder what might have happened if they had never played the Isle of Wight Festival because after the Isle of Wight, they didn't play for another three months and then we get to Dallas and New Orleans. So in a sense... The Seattle-Vancouver tour is almost the end of the Doors touring schedule. It's almost the end of it. And they book Isle of Wight, but they do the pre-White warm-up tour. Then nothing happens for months, and they are recording LA Woman, and they go out for one weekend, Dallas, New Orleans. We know how that ends in tragedy. Then they finish recording LA Woman, which turns out to be a masterpiece, although some people think it's not, but I do personally. Oh, best album they put out, I think. Probably yeah. a probably a hot take, but I will I will I will stand on LA Woman. Um I could do without like La America. I mean that's one that I don't I don't enjoy hearing as often. Maybe you disagree with that as well, but I th- I think at its core though, man, I think LA Woman's an amazing album. And you talked about the warm up Isle of Wight Festival sort of tour. 
And I think that Vancouver, man, and maybe it's Albert King brings that show up for Morrison. And it, it, it seems like Jim, like even in Detroit, when you have like uh, John Sebastian join him or like in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, uh, when Tony Glover comes on stage, it seems like whenever an outside person comes in, like Jim, it raises Jim, especially like Albert King, especially like sometimes maybe John Sebastian, not as much because some of that blue section in, uh, in Detroit did go off the rails. But I think that like Albert King brought that show up and that Jim was really great. That second half of the show, you know, great. Yeah. But, but I think the, the Vancouver show is probably the last great show they did in my opinion, man. I know, I know Michael Papasino thinks that Bakersfield's great. And I think that it does have some great moments in it, man. Um, but I think it, like we, the end proved it even further that the shakiness in the vocals, maybe he's lost a little bit of confidence in his, in, his, in himself there. Um, that's me sort of projecting on a gym. I don't know what Jim's going through. I know outwardly, you know, as much as the information that we have, what he's going through, but I can't say what he's internalizing. I'm sure it's not good, but all that being said, I think that Bakersfield, this is a great release and, no matter what, like you talked about, I think you, I probably should have ended it there, but you, what you said about Vince saying that even the, even basically even the bad door shows have like a bit of magic in them. And I think this, this version of the end had that, had that magic sort of sprinkled throughout and I can't wait to hear it again and sort of keep it on repeat in the car. That's a good thing about CDs too. You can just leave it. I think, I guess my Peter, Paul and Mary CD top 10 greatest hits of Peter, Paul and Mary is going to have to, Leave for a while. Put the second disc in there, even though it's only a few songs. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I absolutely agree with all that, Brad. Absolutely agree. And I think your take on Morrison's state of mind is probably accurate too. It definitely sounds like he's lacking confidence in him, in himself, and at least in his voice. You know. So I mean, I, you know, you're approaching September. The trial is coming. He's been on trial this whole time, and September is when it really comes to a head. But he's all through August. They were in court. Yeah. So I think where I, where I want to end this is I want to get you on the record for one thing, and then we'll I'll ask one more question and we'll we'll wrap it up. On the record, yeah. this is going to be legally binding. <laughs> um, what do you think? There's more to this show. Uh, Dave mentions that it was two plus hours worth of content. We only get ninety some odd minutes here. Uh, I think it ends up coming a little bit over ninety minutes. Is there more to the show? Do you believe? And if there is, what would be left on the table? Do you think Light My Fire was played? I mean, there's clearly a cut in the tape before Love Me Two Times. Um, Without examining things further to see how it transitions into the end, I can't say. Greg Shaw, originally when he published his book On the Road in 1997, had minimal information about this show, but he said that it lasted for over three hours and featured three encores, I think. So three encores, okay. Is there something missing? I don't know. Uh, There's definitely a cut. You know, I I don't know the answers, but my on the record is to say that that's what I remember reading in Greg Shaw's book, and another Greg said that he interviewed someone a long time ago who distinctly remembered that Light My Fire was not played at this show. Uh, these are anecdotes that you can take or leave. I don't know the truth. I suppose we never will. 
but it seems likely that something was not recorded. Give me, yeah. give me two seconds. I think I've got on the road right close by. I got it right here. Interestingly enough, Greg Shaw lists "Wake Up" and "Light My Fire." Oh, did you already have it? I had it right next to me. Yeah, you son this of a. This performance bitch. lasts for three hours and features three encores. Huh? Yeah. That's all it says. Yep. Hmm. When the music's over, wake up, light my fire. The end. Also, performing genetic drift. Is that mm. is that been proven? Yeah, there's something in the Doors AI thing about that band, actually. I think um, Dukowski did some research on them. I wonder if any of the members are still out there. Huh. Worth looking into. Maybe I guess there's so much that's worth looking into. There's so many things. Oh, so many things to follow up on. It just never ends. So I would say that after reading this, it features three encores. That's a that's a freaking crazy thing to have made up. I mean, I know it's. Of, I don't know where that comes from. Yeah, I, I mean, in hundred percent, I know that. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm just sort of trying to process everything. Three encore seems absurd, man. Seems freaking absurd. Like what? 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 Do you, what does the Doors even play for three concerts? Dave says it's two plus hours. Greg says it's three hours. I don't know. I don't know, man. Don't Maybe we'll never know. Man, we will probably never know, to be honest with you. But he, but even Greg got the, or Greg, yeah, Greg got the date wrong, though. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. I'm, I'm misreading this. Huh. So it's a Friday. I don't know. I don't think, but just looking at it, when the music's over, we know that there's, uh, I'm going to put quote unquote a cut after when the music's over, if the tape's correct. Before Love Me Two Times. So we do have When the Music's Over and we have The End at the End. And then we do have Wake Up and Light My Fire sandwiched in between there. Um, so that would make sense that if that's where it is, that would that it would be between that cut before Love Me Two Times? Oh, yeah. So uh, Now, what's the, what's the transition like between Love Me Two Times and The End? Uh, we, can, we can listen to I'm it. I'm recording. Uh, well, let's listen to it real quick. I've got it pulled up. Uh, oh, there's a sh- uh, ship of fools, or it, it has love me two times, then it goes into mystery train, then goes into the mystery train jam, then ship of fools, and then the end. Okay, what's the what's the gap between ship of fools and the end like? I think let's see. Cut. Notice the guitar was already tuned down to D. The drop D was already down. You didn't hear it go down. Yeah. Oh, so you, you, hear the, you hear the top E go down to D. Hold on, let me.
So you're saying bottom, e, bottom E string was already at D. You didn't hear the doom. doom. Yeah, when you're down tuning no. to drop D. So there's a cut there. Huh. They masked it very well though. Maybe Vince was um stopping the tape. Maybe. But it, does it not sound like the tape here sort of continues on and it's it's sort of indistinguishable, it sounds like, a little bit? I've got to listen to it because through this Zoom yeah. chat, it's pretty freaky. But I will listen to that when I, you know, I'll put it through some speakers. I'm going to go on the record. I think that the Doors maybe didn't perform three hours. Um, and I don't know if they've done three encores. I... I do think, though, that I think Light My Fire's played. I'm going to say that. I'm going to go on the record. Light My Fire's played. I think. I think you are probably right to say that the Doors don't play for three hours. It seems bizarre. Thank you again to Travis Williamson. You can find this podcast on Twitter, at The Doors Pod, and on Facebook by searching for Opening the Doors. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for guests, you can send an email to openingthedoorspod at gmail.com. I want to give a special thanks to podcast consultant Jim Cherry, who authored The Doors Examined and The Last Stage. Music for this podcast was done by Christian Cornejo of the Jimbo Tribute Band from South America. I hope to meet you back here in two weeks, but until then, keep the doors open and the music loud. Go get your beer. Go get your beer.